found in Hosea. We'll be reading chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. So let me ask you a question to begin. You know, he's saying about God forgiving us. Why? Unfailing love. Unfailing love. God loves us. God loves us so much in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I I don't know about y'all, and, and, and some may have never seen this painting. It was popular several years ago, but there's a painting of a man in in modern street clothes. He's wearing like a, uh, a T-shirt and, and jeans, and he's got a large hammer in one hand and, and nails in the other, and he's exhausted. And the risen Jesus has his arms around him holding him up. Because he was the one that nailed Jesus onto the cross. And he's exhausted. And Jesus' unfailing love is holding that man up. That's what I think of every time I hear Crowder's song. That it was my hands that held the nails. And I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 12, and in the uh, honor of the reading of God's Word, let's all stand. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love. And I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bent down and fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt. But Assyria, he will be their king. Because they refuse to return to me. The sword will whirl against their cities. And will demolish their gate bars. And consume them because of their counsels. So my people are bent on turning from me. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar, and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. Ephraim surrounds me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. 
Judah is also unruly against God, even against the Holy One who is faithful. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst. Lord, we just ask that you would illumine our hearts and minds to understand and apply your perfect and fallible word to our lives as you illumine the heart and mind of Hosea. God, we love you so much. We want to show it to you in the way that we study your word this morning as we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer in and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Love is the greatest force in all of the world. Now, a lot of people might say that money or power or, or something else is the, uh, the greatest force in all of the world. How many songs do you know that talk about money? I mean, if you're into rap, then that, you know, you probably know a lot of them because a lot of them seem to talk about money. I did a quick search just to see how, uh, how many songs I, I might find about love. And, and when I just did a, a search for songs about love, I came up with 2.4 billion results. Read every single one of them. No, I'm kidding. I just wanted a number. I came up with 2.4 billion results. Love is at the, the forefront of everything we do. I mean, the Beatles didn't sing, all you need is money. They didn't sing, all you need is power. They sang, all you need is love. Now, they were right, but not in the way that they meant it, okay? I don't think they realized, well, anyway, that, that's a whole other message. A person who truly loves another individual becomes totally committed, attached, devoted, and involved with the person that they love. They give their full allegiance to the person that they love. Listen, most of y'all have been to a wedding that I presided over. You don't hear me say forsaking most others, right? Do I, do I say forsaking most others or forsaking some others? I say forsaking all others. To be true and faithful to the other as long as you both shall live. See, in our text this morning, we are seeing a window into God's unfailing love. God has loved Israel from the beginning. And what we're seeing in this chapter is that God's love never fails. Isn't that what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 13? Isn't that how he concluded the love chapter? He said that love never fails. It never fails. And God's love never fails. In this chapter, we see six great themes that talk about God's love. God's love delivered His people in verses 1 and 2. God's love taught His people to, to, to walk in verse 3. 
God's love guided and provided for his people in verse 4. God's love disciplined his people in verses 5 through 7. And God's love fulfilled his promise to his people in verses 8 and 9. And God's love will restore his people in verses 10 through 12. Hosea has been called the prophet of unconditional love. And, and we know that. We understand that, right? I mean... How many of, of us, if our spouse had moved in with someone else? How many of us would go to the door and say, I want them back. I want them back. Oh, there's a cost associated with it. How much? I'll pay it. I want them back. Hosea in his life with Gomer demonstrated unconditional love. It didn't matter that she wasn't reciprocating that love back to him. It didn't matter that she was being absolutely unfaithful. So unfaithful that one of their children was even named not mine. The dominant themes of, or theme of chapters 1 through 10 has been obedience and judgment. And in this chapter, the theme shifts to the divine, conquering love, unfrustratable, and ultimately irresistible. Now, why does God love His people? He never tells us. He never tells us why He loves us. I mean, obviously, He loves us because He created us. I mean, listen to me, beloved. If we're just the product of a bunch of random natural processes, then God doesn't make sense. God doesn't make sense. Because we don't need God if we've got these random natural processes that can produce us and everything else within the universe. I read an article this week that, that I found rather amusing. You know, scientists are always doing what scientists do. And the title of the article or the headline on the article was that the range of habitable planets just got much smaller. They found out then in their studies that planets like Earth are extremely rare if there are any planets like Earth. And that's in the Milky Way. Okay? That's what we can see with the best telescopes that we have. The point that I'm trying to make is that God loves us because God loves us. God loves us because He said He would. Okay? Why did Hosea love Gomer? Because He said He would. He is demonstrating God's love for us. The love of God is sovereign. All love that is true love is sovereign. Paul in Romans eleven twenty eight says from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies. He's talking about the Jews. They are enemies for your sake. 
But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Why did God love the very men that were persecuting the church? Because God had promised Abraham that he would. God had promised that he would give to Abraham a number of descendants beyond what he could even be able to count. And Abraham, you know, just so thoroughly believed God, right? Right? No. And neither did his wife. And that's how we find ourselves in the mess that we're in today. Because the sons of Abraham and, or I'm sorry, that Isaac and Ishmael have been fighting ever since they were born. Because Abraham just couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that an old man that was childless was going to be the father of more than could be counted, what God said. He just couldn't get his mind wrapped around that. In the early chapters of Hosea, he stresses the relationship between God and Israel as a relationship like that between a husband and wife. In this chapter, God is presenting his relationship as the relationship of a father and a son. And he shows us that his love is unfailing. Verses 1 and 2. Now, you understand that we're speaking metaphorically here. The man named Israel had been dead for centuries before God called his people out of Egypt. Okay? When Israel was a youth, I loved him. See, Israel, the nation, hadn't even been born yet. But God is looking at them as his beloved children. And out of Egypt, I called my son. I called my son. And in those days, what did a son do? He carried on the family legacy. He carried on what the, the family had always done. And so God expected, and and we saw last week, God expected them to behave in a certain way. And they didn't. They didn't. So in the Old Testament, God's relationship with Israel was more like a father and a son. So much so that in Exodus 4, 22 and 23... God sends Moses to Pharaoh, and he says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, Let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And again, we've said that God's special relationship with Israel is traced back to Abraham. 
And after God freed Israel from Egyptian bondage, he continued to deliver them down through the centuries. But tragically, the crises faced by the Israelites were caused by their own sin. I said the crises in our own lives are produced by our sin. One of the principals at at one of our schools used to say, I cannot get you out of a problem you have behaved yourself into. In fact, the entire book of Judges is sin, suffering, the cry out to God, and then salvation. And then we begin that process all over again. They send themselves back into a crisis. God raises up another judge to come and deliver them. Despite Israel's continued wickedness, despite their rebellion against God, He still loved them. He still loved them. And he continued to call his people to repentance through one prophet after another. But the more he called, the more Israel spurned his love and rejected him. You know, when I was a little boy, we, well, I wasn't a little boy, I was a teenager, we bought two teeny tiny toy French poodles. The point here was to breed them and to take the money and and that would be my money because they were my dogs that mom and dad took care of. Right? Can I get a witness? Oh, daddy, I got to have this dog. If you let me have it, I'll take care of it. I promise that I'll feed it. I'll clean up its messes. And that lasts about two days. Okay? And then it's mom and dad taking care of the animal. Anyway, we had Gigi was the female and Jacques was the male. Jacques was intellectually challenged, okay? Pretty severely intellectually challenged. He, he, he was dumb, okay? And, and Gigi really didn't have any time for him. You know, she would just, you know, and yet Jacques was always there for her. They were out in the yard one day, and a German shepherd from the neighborhood dared to step inside our yard. And Jacques, okay, tore after that German shepherd. Thankfully, the German shepherd ran, okay, because Jacques would have just been an appetizer for that dog, you know, at at that point. The point was, is that Jacques was an awful lot you know, in in the way that that we treat God. God continues to reach out to us and we spurn Him because He's not what we want. We say that He is. These people said that God was what they wanted and yet they were acting in a way that said He's not what we want. See, beloved, God loves us. 
He loves us so much that He will deliver us from or through the bondages of this life as well as the hardships and the trials of this life. He will deliver us no matter what we face, no matter what we have behaved ourselves into. If we will cry out to Him, He will deliver us. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation, no temptation has overtaken you but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. See, beloved... We can't step back and say that I was powerless in the face of this temptation. Because the Word of God very plainly says that God will go through that, that time with us. Verses 3 and 4. God does so much for us that we are unaware of. You know, I've told you in the past that when I first came here, Ray Harry Crosby was one of our trustees. And I think I'd been at the church three or four years before I saw my first burnout light bulb. And I thought, man, this church must know where to buy the right light bulbs, okay? Because they never burn out. And then one day I came in and Ray Harry was down here doing what our trustees do, making sure that the church was ready for us to come in here on Sunday taking care of things that nobody knew about, never came up at business meeting. They never stood up and said, well, I, I just want you to know I was down here at church uh, this week and I changed all the light bulbs. God is the same in our life, beloved, and more. He does so much that we are not aware of. He says that he took them in my arms. You know, one of the things, you know, it's one thing when our, our, our young children come in and, and, and I greet them, but if I were going to have a conversation with them, what would I do? I'd get down on their level where they could look me in the eye without having to look up this way. Okay? And that's what God is saying. I stooped down. I got involved in the most mundane part of their life. And I blessed them. God's love will guide and provide for the needs of any person who truly believes in and follows him. Scripture tells us that he sets us free. He then guides us along the way and meets our every need. Whatever we need, God provides for us. You know, as we walk through this life, let me ask you a question. If for some bizarre reason you decided you wanted to climb Mount Everest, Okay? You've got to have a guide. Okay? 
Would you want some guy that this is his first time up Mount Everest to lead you up there? Or would you want somebody that had been up there a number of times and always came back down the mountain with the same number of people he went up the mountain with? Okay? God says, I've already been there. In fact, God has already been where our tomorrow is. God has already been where our next year is. God has already been where our 20 years from now is. And God says, I will walk through this with you. I will be with you wherever you go. Verses 5 through 7. Do you understand that it wasn't as much Israel's sin that got them into trouble? It was Israel's refusal to repent of their sin that got them into trouble. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that sin is inconsequential. It is. It is very consequential. But sin can be dealt with if we do it God's way. If we don't refuse to repent... God's love disciplined Israel and God will discipline any believer that refuses to repent. God loves us so much that when we're about to do something that will harm us, God must discipline us. Discipline is an act of love. God will do all He can to make sure we live and experience the fullness of life. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32 says this. If we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Peter put it to us this way. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. See, here's the deal. Uh, An awful lot of the time, and especially people like me, okay, always being ready to give a defense. Man, I am ready. All right? How many $50 words do you want me to use to defend the, you know, do you want me to talk to you about the Council of Trent? Do you want me to talk to you about the Council of Nicaea? Do you want me to talk to you about superlapsarianism? I mean, i got a a million things that I can do to, to, to tell you about my faith and to defend my faith. But do you understand what Peter is saying here as our motivation for evangelism? You know what? I'm a sinner. There was a time in my life when I willfully and consistently walked against God. I had no respect for Him at all. 
But then one day, somebody came and they told me about the love of God and Jesus saved me from my sin and my life has been completely different ever since. That is being ready to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. You know what I learned a long, long time ago? Even if the truth is not flattering, it's the best thing to do. Why is that? Because then I don't have to remember what I said, right? I don't have to remember what I said to this person and what I said to that person and what I said to this person. All I have to do is consistently speak the truth. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. You know, one of the greatest pieces of theology came from a guy that was that was about to die. Okay? And one of the guys was reviling Jesus, hurling insults at him along with everybody else down on the ground. And the other guy's heart had been touched by the Holy Spirit. And he said, what are you doing? You and I deserve to die. We deserve what is happening to us. But he doesn't. He has done no wrong. And yet it was better that Jesus suffer for doing what is right. Why? Because unless he did, he wouldn't have been able to look at that boy and say, you know what? Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has brought you into the kingdom of God. Verses 8 and 9. Though judgment is coming, God takes no pleasure in it. You know, we said in Sunday school that, that we will become like the God that we worship. If the God that we worship enjoys dishing out stuff like this, then we're going to enjoy doing it too. We're going to end an evangelistic encounter with someone that didn't immediately pray the sinner's prayer with, well, I hope you enjoy hell. How in the world do we possibly think that's going to lead somebody to come to faith in Jesus? Listen. I can scare the hell, out of you, the hell out of you in the way that I present the gospel. But I cannot scare you into heaven. Only love is going to bring you into heaven. Only when you understand that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. See, in verses 8 and 9, God is saying, I cannot bear for my people to go through what Adma and Zeboim did. See, Adma and Zeboim suffered what we today call collateral damage. Their sin was being too close to Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim went along with it. And God says, I can't bear to see my people destroyed. Verses 10 and 12. Or 10 through 12. Do you understand that God made these promises while they were disobeying Him? Hello? God said they will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, He will roar and His sons will come trembling from the west. God's love will restore Israel and His love will restore anybody in this room or anybody watching this service who truly repents and turns to Him. Here's what I want you to hear as we close. Despite Israel's sin, God loved them. Despite our sin, God loves us. God promises to restore any of us who backslide and turn away from Him if we will repent. Luke 24, 46 and 47 says, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And of course, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <coughs> Excuse me, beloved. God has an unfailing love for us. He has an unfailing love for you. Will we turn from all that we think makes us happy and experience God's unfailing love in our lives and experience His compassion as He forgives our sin and makes us whole again?